Welcome to Heart Church. We believe the gospel has the power to transform your whole life, all your life. We hope that you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. So excited to come and uh, share with you um, this morning about the, the breaking of bread. Um, you will have picked up by now, even if it's your first time here, that we have, over the last weeks, been looking at foundations. It's uh, part of a series where we're looking at behind closed doors. Our theme for the year as a church is that uh, God has set before us an open door. But you know, so often our open doors are dependent upon what goes on behind closed doors. It's what our private world, our pri- what happens in our private world influences our public world. And we've been basing these four, basing these four weeks upon the apostles' teaching, upon the fellowship, which was last week, the breaking of bread today, and to prayer, which is next week. And these were the four foundational disciplines of the church. Don't forget the, the early church, they, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have the Bible as we know it. Uh, they, they had to, you know, Jesus had gone to heaven. He'd been resurrected and gone to heaven. And these were, these were the things that the church consistently did. This is how the church we belong to uh, emerged uh, uh, and uh, has become what it is. The thing about foundations is, is this, that when, you, when you're laying foundations, it, you have to go deep. There's a lot of expense. And at the end of it, you've just got a bit of a grey slab. A lot of money, a lot of work, a lot of energy. But without those foundations, you can't build. It will determine the level of what you can build. So these things that we are looking at over this season, they are foundational and will determine what we will see built in our lives going forward. So I suppose today is a little bit like one of those old-fashioned Bible studies, but my goal is not just to give you information but to give you inspiration. I, I want uh, even those of you who have broken bread for years, who have, uh, uh, have taken communion for years, I want you to leave with a new perspective, something, something different as we look at this subject. We call it communion. It's also known as the Lord's Supper. It's also known as the breaking of bread. Uh, if you are more used to an, an Anglican or a, a Catholic setting, then you might know it as Holy Communion or you might know it as the Eucharist. But it all basically points to the meal that we're about to read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, which was known as the Last Supper. So we're going to read this pivotal Scripture and then we'll, we'll build from there. So then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. 
Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. They replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Amen, we'll leave it there. Now, no big surprises there, especially if you've been around church Everything that you've heard there will be familiar and will have been read a thousand times when we came to the breaking of bread. But I don't want us to approach what Jesus said today like we've heard it a thousand times. I want us to approach it like the disciples had to approach it as they were sat around the table because they were in a very familiar environment that was just about to get utterly transformed. Because as you might recall, they gathered to celebrate together the Passover. So the Passover meal was jam-packed with metaphors and descriptive pictures that they were to remember what Moses had done generations before in leading the children of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And some of you might remember the plagues came and the last plague was the death of the, the, the firstborn. And, uh, and the Spirit of God instructed Moses and the people of Israel to kill a lamb without spot, without blemish, and to take the blood of that lamb and paint it on the doorposts and the lintels of their home. And when the angel of death came, wherever it saw the blood, it would pass over that home and no one in that home would die. You remember the account, right? So that's what the Passover meal, that's what this meal that we have read about is what they sat down to enjoy together. And there were actually four cups, four cups of, of wine that they enjoyed during the, the Passover meal, even in the scripture we've just read. There were, were two cups, but we only uh, take one of those when we come to uh, remember the Lord. I'll talk to you a little bit about that in a moment. But there was powerful imagery. So these cups were filled with, with red wine. The red wine 
was there to uh, remind us of the blood of the lamb that was slain. That was, uh, and the blood painted on the doorposts and the lintels. And then there was the powerful imagery of the bread, which was unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread, it was unleavened as in, that means it didn't have any yeast in it. And that was to symbolise the haste with which they had to leave Egypt because they did not have time to put yeast in the bread, wait for it to rise and then bake it. So that was the bread that would have been on the table, unleavened bread. That's why it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But it was the symbol not only of the haste with which they were leaving, but actually the fact they were leaving. Because the fact they were leaving was symbolising the reality that we're now free. They were coming out of slavery. Uh, 430 years of slavery was uh, being brought to an end. It was a phenomenal and powerful moment. So the bread and the cup were symbols of deliverance. And it was it was in this environment that Jesus chose to redefine what this was all about. He, you, you've got to know that, that, that people would have been like, what? What? Because this had been celebrated for generations. Everyone knew. People could have done it with their eyes closed. They'd, they'd grown up with the same thing. Uh, uh, but uh, just... Every time the Passover meal came, they knew exactly what they needed to do. But Jesus took all that picture language and all that symbolism and all that imagery as a backcloth to, to give them an understanding of what he himself was about to do. Honestly, I don't think the disciples really understood in that moment what was going on. Have you ever been in one of those environments where Everybody else seems to understand what's going on and you don't. But you're nodding like you do. And you're thinking to yourself, I'll ask somebody later. But right now, I don't want to look like I don't understand. I'm going to pretend that I do understand. I think that everyone around here would nod in and smiling, knowing what, what, not knowing what Jesus was meaning. But I think once Jesus has gone to the cross, and they look back on this moment and they revisited it. They're going, oh, now I get it. Now I see what he was trying to show us. Now I see what, I, what he was trying to tell us. So Jesus describes the cup that was taken after supper. That was the cup that he redefined. He, re, re, he redefined that cup, at, which in the Passover is known as the, the cup of, of redemption. Um, he already redefined the bread. He said, look, when you, when, when you take this and, and break it, uh, remember me. You have used this to remember that the children of Israel were delivered from slavery. Well, you might not get it right now, but I'm also telling you that you're going to be delivered from slavery. But right now, you need to understand that this body represents me and it represents the fact that you're going to be delivered from the slavery of sin. The cup is going to be redefined. Yes, it's the cup of redemption, but also it's the cup of the new 
covenant. I mean, it just rolled off the tongue so easily. I think this is one of those moments where they were nodding and smiling and pretending like they understood. Because Jesus was saying, basically, you've lived under the old covenant. That was the covenant Moses gave you. It didn't, it didn't work. It was to do with law. It was to do with rules. It was, it was to do with following a list of things that you need to do. And by following that list, by following the commandments, then you were defined as a child of God. You were circumcised. There were certain things that you had to do. But Jesus was saying that that's the old covenant. I'm going to do it in a different way. And that is quite powerfully explained in the book of Hebrews where we read in Hebrews chapter 8, says this, but, but Jesus' priestly work far surpasses what these other priests do, since he's working from a far better plan. If the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, a second wouldn't have been needed. But we know the first was found wanting because God said, heads up, the days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan I set up for their ancestors when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time, I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God in Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand. The little and the big, the small and the great, they'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins wiped clean forever by coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and His people. God put the old plan on the shelf and there it stays gathering dust. So you see, God, God is removing the rule. So like, for instance, on the way to church, I come in via Mansfield Road. And on the way in, I want you to know that I absolutely stick to the speed limit. I don't stick to the speed limit because I'm the pastor of this church. I don't stick to the speed limit because I'm a Christian. I don't stick to the speed limit because I'm a nice person. I stick to the speed limit because there's average speed cameras all the way along the road. And I would love to say that it was true, the former, but I actually obey the law because there is rules there and I could get caught out. That's what, that's what the law does. It, it puts cameras along your road. But what Jesus is talking about here is I'm putting something inside you that wants to stick to the speed limit. Actually, we don't need cameras because whether cameras are there or not, whether anyone's watching or not, on a good day or a bad day, you're gonna want to do what is right. And even if you do get it wrong, and on occasion you go over the speed limit, you'll feel bad about that and you'll want to change. 
You see, that is, that's what God's saying. He said, I'm putting the desire in you, not only to stick to the speed limit, but to do what is right. In fact, that desire is proof that you are born again. See, before I was born again, I would sin and I didn't care. I didn't worry about it. I didn't think about it. I just used to sin. When I became born again, suddenly I was aware of my sin. I was aware of what I was doing wrong and I didn't want to do those things wrong. Those things are an indication that there's been a supernatural transformation inside of me that proves I'm not following the law, I'm doing the right thing because I want to do the right thing. And the fact that I want to do the right thing is proof that God has put a new nature within me. I'm a new creation, a brand new person. The old thing has as the old things have gone, the new things have come. That is, that is God's promise. He puts in us a new nature. So, so far we realise then that, that as we, when we partake in this, this, this meal, we call it a meal, when we partake in the bread and the cup, we are joining generations of people all the way back to Moses that have remembered God in this way. But Jesus, of course, changed it. He made it not just for the Jews and the celebration of the Passover, but he reinterpreted it for Christians so that they would understand this meal is no longer just about what Jesus once did for the children of Israel. This is also about what Jesus will do for Christians and for future generations. So as powerful as the first story was with all its symbolism, in its redefined way, it is just as powerful because we have the bread, which represents the fact that that seeds have died and, and, and been crushed uh, uh, in order to make the flour that makes the bread. And in the New Testament, the presence of leaven or the presence of yeast is always associated with sin. I haven't got time to go into all that, right? You might not just have to take my word for it, but, but it's associated with sin. So there is powerful imagery in the fact that this bread is unleavened. It has no Leaven in it. it has no yeast in it, which is a picture of Jesus, which had no, who had no sin in him. And then, of course, we understand that the grapes had to be crushed in order to make the wine. So Jesus, who was died, who died, was buried, and rose again. There's an understanding that as the bread would physically nourish me. When I come to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread, I am being not just physically nourished, I am being spiritually nourished. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. Amazing. Jesus said, whenever you take this bread, whenever you take this cup, 
remember me. It's a meal of remembrance. It's a bit like, it's a bit like taking a photograph. I don't know whether, you know, these days people have them on their phone or on their iPad or on the computer, but you know, uh, we're old enough to, um, to uh, have actually photographs in a box somewhere. You can pull out those photographs and they evoke memories. If you pull out a wedding photograph, if you pull out the photograph of a party, then those, that, that photograph reminds you. That's why the, the worst job, if you ever think you're just going to quickly tidy out the photograph box, it never happens. Because you pull them out and you go, oh no, do you remember that? And oh, oh my gosh, where's all the time gone? Where's it all gone? And it takes forever to actually tidy it out. So in a way, this is a bit like a photograph because Jesus says, take out this photograph and remember the event. Remember what I did. Remember what this does for you. But the Apostle Paul helps us to realise that this is not just a photograph. It's not just an opportunity to remember. It is that, it's just not just that. So 1 Corinthians 11 says it like this. This is, this is Paul um, writing to the Corinthian church. He says, let me... Go over with you again. I love that. You know, it's like, you know, we've done this before, but let's do it again because you're clearly not getting it. Exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master Himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of His betrayal, took bread Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he did the same with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realise is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions, the death of the master. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of. Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you are now listless and sick and others have gone to an early grave. If you get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. So, 
My friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. By no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It is a spiritual meal. It is a love feast. Paul's saying, don't get confused. Don't get confused. There may be other food here, but this, isn't, this moment isn't actually about the food. It's not actually about the drink. This moment is actually about Jesus. And it's about what he has done. So Paul is helping us to understand how we approach this meal. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of encouraged because clearly the Corinthian church hadn't only got it wrong once, they got it wrong before. Because Paul was saying, oh, here we go again. I'm gonna have to tell you again. Thank God for the Corinthian church. They messed up so many times that Paul had to write a load of things down, which really help us. But, so there's an attitude. Paul is saying, when you, when you come to take in the bread and the cup, you, you're supposed to have an attitude within you towards what is about to happen. And that is, there's an attitude of solemnity. There's an attitude of seriousness because when we do this, we reenact, bring into effect again the death of Jesus. We are remembering that, that Jesus died for us. Then that's so beautifully explained. We are reminded that Jesus, he's paid my fine. He's done my time. He has, he has broken the curse of, 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 of sin and death over my life. I'm a free man today because of Jesus. The children of Israel were free uh, from death because of the blood of a, of a little lamb. But I am free because of the blood of the lamb the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, everything that would fill me with shame and with guilt was paid for on that day through the cross. This is a moment to take seriously. It's a moment that we, that we, we, we don't allow the passing of time or the fact that we've done it many times for it just to become ordinary. Some of you have taken... Communion, breaking of bread for decades. But it's never meant to be just, here we go. You know, just like, it's like, wow, this is, this, we're having a moment here. This is, this is a solemn moment. This is a deep moment. And you must understand that, 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 that it represents the breadth and the colour and the shade of the Christianity that we have. Don't get confused just because you come in here and, and see a few lights and a little bit of a smoke machine and the music's upbeat. Don't think that we take things lightly. Don't think that we are just, we, 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 our roots go very, very deep into the things of God. And there must be moments of seriousness and solemnity. Sure, from time to time, you'll find us dancing at the front, but there'll be other moments when we are on our knees in awe of God. 
It's a solemn moment. It's not just about high fives and the vibes, slapping each other on the back and saying, hey, we're just here for the big guy. Cool. It's, there's a moment. It's a moment of, of solemnity. You know, it's not like I remember uh, years and years ago, uh, we, had, um, we, we just had one of those times where people came forward to, to break bread. And, um, uh, you know, one of the ironies of life, years ago before I went into the ministry, um, I was uh, a hairdresser. And, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> You've heard of wash and go? Mine's wash and gone. <laughs> and uh, right about here, I, was, uh, I went and got some bread. We had a big loaf. Some of you have been around for years. We just had one big loaf at the front and I came and got my life. And as I, as I uh, walked away, someone came up to me to share their bread with me and said like this, they said, uh, can I make an appointment with you? <laughs> I, I want you to know that is not that moment. <laughs> this moment is that, not that moment. To make, you're not here to be making an appointment with me. <laughs> you know, you're, you're here to, you're, we're here to remember the Lord. There's supposed to be some focus about this moment. It's a solemn moment. Don't take this for granted. And then Paul, of course, goes on to say, and listen, guys, you need to examine your heart. You need to examine your motives. You need to test your heart and you need to come in holy awe. That's, that's what he's saying because this isn't just a photograph. There is something deeply spiritual about this moment because this moment doesn't just say something about Jesus and it doesn't just say something about God. It says something about me. Examine your heart. Examine your motives. If, if you are deliberately and intentionally sinning, then this is not something you should be doing. Now, listen, all of us sin, all of us mess up, all of us stuff up. Let's, let's, let's just get real with each other. I know you sat there looking all holy today, it's Sunday, but the reality is, all of us mess up, every single one of us. All of us sin, all of us fall short of the glory of God. One day we will reach sinless perfection and we'll be with Jesus in heaven when that happens. But right now, I have to repent. Right now, I have to say sorry. Right now, I have to avail myself of the forgiveness of God. That is the reality of life. So we're never gonna get to a place where we don't sin. So the words that I choose here are very carefully chosen. Deliberate, intentional sin. When I know that I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing, but I still do it. You understand what I'm saying? That, that, that we, we all, because otherwise, we, none of us would ever take communion, would we? But the truth is, there's a world of difference between, you know, uh, having a heart that wants to do right, but when I'm deliberately, intentionally sinning, this meal says something about me. This, this meal says, I believe in Jesus. This meal says, I believe in what he did for me. This meal says that I believe that he died on a cross for my sin. This, this, this meal says that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus. So I cannot now, in the same breath, be just deliberately and intentionally sinning. He also talks about, I cannot deliberately 
and intentionally be holding on to unforgiveness in my life. Because this meal is about Jesus. It's about me and my relationship with Jesus. But it's also about our relationship with each other. It's about us. See, Paul writing again to the Corinthians, he said, so my dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. I assume I'm addressing believers now who are mature. Draw your own conclusions. When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking to ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ, because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us, rather we become unified in Him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are, He raises us to what He is. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's what happens in this moment. So this is a spiritual meal. Something supernatural happens in this moment. It looks like it's just a little bit of biscuit and a little cup of juice. That's what it looks like. But it's not that. It's a supernatural thing that takes place. It's, could it be described as, and, and is as a sacrament, which is a sacred and mysterious thing of mysterious significance. It is an importation of spiritual grace. That's when Paul talks to us about there being consequences for not coming to this meal in the right way, it's because he wants us to understand this isn't play play. This isn't messing around. Whether you recognise it or not, there is a very spiritual dynamic that is taking place when you break bread. So Paul represents, as it were, the negative side of things. I want to just put to it the positive side that when I come and partake in this meal, then this meal will, uh, and if I appropriately recognise God and what He has done, it will actually release in me strength and health and reinforce unity. Paul, of course, reminds us that If we don't come at it from an appropriate way, we are deliberately sinning, we are deliberately hanging on to unforgiveness. He says, if you give no thought or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. And that's why so many of you are now weak and sick and others of you have gone to an early grave. This isn't about avoiding the consequences of our disobedience. This is about embracing the benefits of obedience. It's like, get yourself right. It's not about, oh, I better avoid that. Or, you know, I just live, I do the minimum that I can so I can get away with it. No, it's about living in such a way that I can embrace the benefits 
of obedience. See, we need to understand that there's an incredible correlation between death and life. The whole thing to do with the cross and the resurrection and, and the reality of what happens when we break bread and when we take of the, the cup. Because, see, the, the thing is this, this, this apple was once connected to an apple tree. While it was connected to its source, it was alive. Now it's been plucked from its source. It looks okay, but it's dying. It's dying. It's no longer connected to its source. If you, if you were to hang around for another couple of months, you'd probably see that that would really deteriorate and, 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 and come to nothing because it is dying. Isn't it interesting that actually this apple is dying, but it will do me good if I eat it. It will give me health and life. See, I could eat a Mars bar, but a Mars bar wasn't ever alive. So that's not going to give me health. But when I eat fruit and vegetables or salad or a tomato or a piece of lettuce, that was once alive. It's plucked and it's dying. But in the dying process, it produces life and health in me. That's the, that's the correlation. That, that is the, the wonder of Jesus in His death. Jesus called Himself the living bread. The living bread was crucified. He was broken on the cross. The living bread was broken and multiplied supernaturally multiplied. If the devil had understood for one moment that he should never have put Jesus on the cross because what was happening when Jesus walked the earth, there was one man full of the Holy Ghost going around, driving out demons, healing the sick, doing good. The devil only had to deal with one man. But when Jesus went to the cross as that living bread. He was nailed to that cross and that living bread through His death was multiplied. And now instead of one man, there are millions of men and women filled with the same Spirit that Jesus was filled with, going around, driving out demons, healing the sick and doing good in the earth. When I come to the breaking of bread, it's a place of death and it's a place of life. I remember that Jesus died, but it's also a place I die. Again, I die to myself. I die to that sin. I die to doing life my own way. I die to pleasing myself. By coming to this meal, I'm saying, not my will be done, your will be done. I die to the pain and the disappointment that people have given me. As they, they may have hurt me, I may feel justified in being hurt, but I die to that and I say, I forgive. Because as you've forgiven me, Lord, so I forgive. The breaking of bread, as I say, is a place not of my will, but thy will be done. But as I die here, as I lay down my will, as I lay down what I want and choose God's will, life, resurrection life, 
spiritual health, spiritual life is released in me and released in us. Because as I obey, Jesus causes resurrection power to be released in me and released in us. Because as we eat it together, something supernatural binds us together in the unity of the Spirit. No wonder this meal was foundational to building the Christian church. In just a moment, we are gonna break bread together and the hosts are gonna ready for themselves for that. But just for a moment, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads if you would. Close your eyes because I can't come to the breaking of bread without giving people an opportunity to acknowledge that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. You may have come here today, you may have never been in church or maybe you've come for a few weeks and you've never actually made a decision. You need to know that Jesus died for you. He died to pay for every wrong thing you've ever done, to give you life and freedom to become the person you've always wanted to be, the person you were born to be. Maybe you're here today and you you don't know Jesus Uh, you've known Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, but you know that right now you're a long way from where you should be. You've wandered from what you know to be right. And there's something in you this morning that longs to come home that says, look, I need to get my life right with God. Just before we prepare to to break bread together, I wanna give you the opportunity, if you've never said yes to Jesus before, or you have, but you know you need to come back. In this moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand nice and high. By raising your hand, you'll be saying, yeah, this morning, I want to say yes to Jesus. God bless you. Someone at the back there, someone just here. That is awesome. Anyone else this morning saying, yes, that's me. I need this. I didn't know that I needed it. I didn't know that this was important. But right now I know I need Jesus in my life. Is there anybody else before we move on? God bless you, sir. As long as, as you can put your hand down, as God bless you there, that's amazing. Church, we're gonna pray together. If you're holding on to a card right now, I want you to pray like there's nobody else in the room. But because I know that we can often get stuck for words at these moments, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. So church, come on, let's pray with these people. Say after me, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for dying for me on a cross. Thank you for paying for everything I've done wrong. I'm sorry for those things. And I turn away from them. And I give my life to you. All that I have, all that I am. I thank you that I do not walk alone, but you walk with me and you will help me. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Can we thank God for people saying yes to Jesus? this morning. Absolutely amazing. I'm going to ask the host now to begin to distribute the cup and the biscuit. If you just hold on to those things, don't forget to pass and then take. And I want you to, if you will, hold on to the cup 
and, 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 and the biscuit just for a moment. And, and I have, have a moment where you consciously think about what Jesus has done for you Remember, this is not a moment to be taken lightly. It's a moment to be grateful. It's a moment to examine my own heart and my own attitudes. And if something comes to mind that I need to put right or I need to put something right with someone, then determine in your heart that at the earliest opportunity, you are going to do that. Remember, do not get lost in the simplicity of a little cup of juice and a little piece of biscuit. Remember, the significance of this moment way outweighs the simplicity of the cup and the biscuit. Gonna wait for everybody to be served. Jesus he meets with you it's a moment where he reminds you of how precious you are to him how much you mean to him it's a moment where he reinforces his love and his power in your heart and in your life there's health there's healing there's strength supernaturally imparted through these simple emblems as we remember the Lord in just a moment we're going to sing and I'm going to give you the freedom as we sing, to choose the moment when you want to take the bread and take the cup and to offer up a quiet prayer in your own heart to Jesus who loves you with all of his heart. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been both challenged and inspired. To stay up to date with everything going on in our church, go to heartchurch.co.uk.